Welcome to a new edition of our Outside View. I'm your host, Helen Harrell, and I have to say it's a beautiful day here in Bloomington, Indiana, and we welcome those whenever we get them. Um, I'm very excited about the conversation I'm going to have today because I'm going to speak with somebody that I've actually known for a really long time, and she's a lot younger than me, but we see eye to eye on so many things that it's kind of age kind of washes away when we're really talking about it. But um, anyway, Jada B., who I love. I've loved her since she was a little student when I met her. Um, She's a local singer, a poet, a DJ, an activist with her own event planning business. She also is on the core council for the newly rebooted Black Lives Matter B-Town and who previously participated in the direct action protests of the city's purchase of the Lenko Bearcat military assault vehicle. And she also leads discussions at BLM's A Seat at the Table a roundtable discussion with 2018 midterm candidates. She's on the board for Democracy for Monroe County, Bloomington's progressive political organization, and chairs their endorsement committee. And though a part of the activist community, I would say a big part of the activist community, (laughs) Jada, she perhaps is better known locally for her musical and creative endeavors, from fronting a number of bands like Royalty Prince Tribute Band and Jada B. and the Funky Poetics to operating a burlesque troupe and as a spoken word poet. Additionally, she's on the board for Midway Music Speaks, the organizational body for Midway Music Festival, serving as the diversity committee chair. Wow. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. and, and what do you do for fun, Jada? Uh, fun. Uh, I watch um, really bad teen dramas on TV. Really bad that's TV. My, that's my like go-to fun. Hey, yeah. we all have something like that. I this is. I think it's amazing. You know, when I first met you as a student, I knew you were very talented, Thank you. very powerful, and I thought. If she again, you were a Bloomingtonian, which really yeah. impressed me because I don't, I don't know, I don't find a lot of Bloomingtonians that are real strong advocates, advocates for things that are really activists and are really will stand up for things. It seems like so many people just back away once they're confronted, mm. and I think it's changing. Yeah. But I've been here since the '70s, <laughs> late '70s, and when I first came here, I had uh, a history of working with. Um, uh, the uh, uh, Black Panthers mm-hmm. in D.C. And so, I mean, coming here, I'm a big city girl. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. <laughs> and when I came here, it's like, wow. Yeah. It was all white. I didn't know there was a black community here. Yeah. I didn't see black people. Nobody yeah. was employed anywhere. It totally freaked me out. Yeah. And then I also experienced my own first discrimination. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, um, given the climate of what's going on now, I think, first of all, I'd like to talk about the Bearcat mm-hmm. and the upcoming election of which we have really one candidate for mayor mm-hmm. and um, Mayor John Hamilton, who, you know, is not a perfect person mm. and um, has made some mistakes, clearly. And I think this was kind of a big one for the community, especially for the Great. black community yeah. or any, any community that feels like they've been discriminated or mm-hmm. are at a, you know, in a, in a threat level. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna start. I'm gonna go back just a little bit. Um, you were talking about like, you know, and I appreciate your intro and the things that you were saying. Um, you're talking about Bloomingtonians and and their strong advocacy. Um, there's a, there's been a number of them. I grew up with a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the unfortunate thing is is that Bloomington is not a community that can keep those people here because of jobs, because of opportunities. And so a lot of those people have gone out into the world and they're doing crazy, amazing things out into the world. So I, I grew up with a lot of very strong people and got a lot of my personal politics from the punk scene in town, but also the queer scene in town. And then, you know, my friends who were really like helping to shape that thought process, as well as my parents who are, have been lifelong Democrats and have, have been an interracial couple, couple in, in Bloomington since the 70s, you know, mm -hmm. and so dealing with that. So I, I think that there is, there is that here. It's just that, you know, I, in particular, my generation um, left. We all left. Some of us are starting to come back. So you're starting to see some of that. But um, um, getting back into the to the to community. But I didn't leave. I went to school here and I, I decided to stay for family reasons and for other reasons. And so with with Black Lives Matter and getting into Black Lives Matter um, stuff, uh, yeah, I mean, John, John, you know, um, Mayor Hamilton uh, is, I think he made a major faux pas, which is, um, you know, Indiana is a strong mayor state, meaning that the mayor has pretty much unchecked authority. Right. Um, and, and then to double into that, we have a one-party system in Bloomington, which is that we're all, you know, primarily Democrats. The Republican Party is not strong. We don't have a strong independent party or a strong progressive party or a Tea Party or any of that kind of stuff. Or maybe it's because people don't come out and vote. Well, on there's the that other too. Our, yeah, that's the other thing is that we have a very low voter turnout in general. I mean, that would be all over the country, but yeah, I think our, our voter turnout is low. But I think also on the other side, mm -hmm. um, is pretty for for like Republicans is pretty low, but we also we also have a very strong Democratic base. So when the city council is uh, made up of people who identify as Democrats primarily, and um, the mayor is a Democrat, there's no um, check and balance. Exactly. For, yeah. So right. so the problem with the Linco Bearcat uh, military assault uh, vehicle was that um, you know. There was a bait and switch that happened. The um, the police were given a certain amount of money to do renovation for their building, which uh, is apparently still very much needed. Um, their facilities are 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 behind the times, uh, and I would hate to work there in those conditions. Um, not that I would, but I would hate for that. <laughs> but. Um, they decide they took one bid from somebody it came in way over budget so they decided to scrap it and substitute out buying a new vehicle they had needed a new what they call a protective vehicle for a while they used to have a, a brinks armored truck um and then instead they were using some like a like cargo van style as their protective vehicle and you know brinks armored truck just looks like a bread van with a little bit exactly of, of, of paneling well, on it for except for the armed guards sitting in it oh, usually oh, yes right. it's, it's, you, i mean sometimes <laughs> bread can you know deserves that level of security no um but the 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 difference is is that they went from wanting something that was um purely a protective vehicle to something that can be used against the people. And, and the Linco Bearcat in particular has been seen um, uh, with uh, in Syria, uh, used against the insurgents there as a way to literally run over people in the streets, smash through walls, and you know reduce towns to rubble. Uh, it was seen in Ferguson to intimidate and threaten peaceful protesters. It, it actually was the, that that vehicle was actually the catalyst for something that was a peaceful, quiet protest 
turning into a riot. Exactly. And um, it also was used um, during the, the pipeline protests in, in um, um, intimidating water protectors running through their camps and, and hurting several people. And so, so why would we want that kind of a vehicle in our town is the like larger question. The only answer that I can come up with is that the police department wanted something and John decided to, to um, give it to them. I think that was my biggest question when I started reading about it. Now, since I, I'm not as active in the community as I used to be since I retired, mm -hmm. and um, I didn't hear about it immediately. No. And then when I started reading some of your postings and things about it, then I thought, well, I know what they're for. And I yeah. know that in some instances, they probably protect our military and our police, whatever, from certain instances. But I thought, do we really need that in Bloomington? Yeah, and, 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 and I, would, I, I, will, I will go so far to give everyone that, that there may be instances in other places, in other situations in which these types of vehicles might provide either protection or um, um, serve a purpose, but in Bloomington, Indiana, the only thing I can think of that these that these vehicles will be used for is threats and intimidation. Um, and and you know the 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 crazy thing about it is when we started digging into like why they wanted it and how it would be used, it then started to be. Um, not just a, I mean, clearly there was there's a big problem with with how it would be used. But then we started looking at the budgetary lines of it, and you know it's a, it was a quarter of a million dollars, and it was being purchased by the city, but was going to be loaned out in this way to cover the not only the city but the county and surrounding counties. Mm -hmm. um, now with 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 Bloomington personnel behind the wheel, but they were talking about how they how they cover different areas, and I was like so this can be used two counties over for people that one didn't pay for it and at Monroe didn't County's expense at, yeah well right. at the city's expense right, the so city. not just the county the city's city. expense and so 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 now we're getting into this other murky area so there's there's the human rights issues then there's the financial issues and then there's the fact that uh, two counties over didn't ask for this kind of vehicle to be used in their community don't they get a say about how when these vehicles come in and how they're how they're used or they don't because the city of Bloomington has made decisions for two counties over. Well, I think probably some of the issues, uh, some of the people in some of the outlying counties probably wouldn't be as concerned because they're not black, they're not been a marginalized group, and they're not as, they're, they're, they're not as intimidated right. or worried about yeah. being intimidated by the police. So they don't understand, just like I don't think the city administration still really grasps how someone might feel no. knowing that yeah. that machine is rolling down rolling the street. Down Bloomington. And, and they don't completely. They still, to this day, do. after all of the protesting, after everything that we, we I mean, we put together the People's Report, which was a, a detailed document with facts and figures to show them the effects of the militarization of the police. They still don't understand the impact that it has on marginalized communities. But I, to speak to your point about the, the surrounding counties, um, so Johnson County, I believe, is the, is the next county that has one of these. And, and then, of mm -hmm. course, Marion that County has their me. own. Uh, it, yeah, it doesn't surprise <laughs> me um, at all. But, but I, I actually think counties, poorer counties, do know the effects of these um, kinds of vehicles. Do you think so, really? I, I do. do. You? I, I'm, I'm not sure whether, you know, I, I'm not exactly entirely sure whether you're talking to, if you're, especially if you're talking to white people, whether or not they get that this is state oppression or not. Oh, no. They may not get the nuance of that. I don't think they, so. But what they do get is when their neighbor or someone that they know and trust um, has their privacy 
um, violated by uh, by cops in with you know rolling up in a military assault vehicle, they get that impact on their entire neighborhood. But you realize that some of these people in some of these outlying counties have their own assault vehicles. They have and underground. They have underground military. I, I mean, I, a lot of there are plenty of people, um, and so in I'm this thinking country. those people aren't probably as concerned about. That's what I'm just well, playing but, devil's but, but advocate but here. But the, some of those people are have those military stashes mm-hmm. and things like that because they're concerned about the overreach of the government, right? Exactly. So this is the overreach of the government. So they are concerned sure. about those things. And in fact, what we saw is that when we were protesting, we had several Republicans come forward and say no. This is governmental overreach. This mm-hmm. is something that we don't need. We certainly do not need to uh, have a militarized police force because that's that's when things like you know that the, the they're always worried that they're going to come for their guns. Sure. Well, this militarized police force is exactly the force who's going to come for your guns. But you know, I think like, the biggest point here is that they bought it anyway. They and did we buy have it. it now. They did. They they bought it anyway. They've had it now, and they've run it out a few times. And in each of those cases. There was no, absolutely no cause for the use of this. This it's vehicle. just intimidation. It's intimidation, and it was, it was, it's. I mean, at this point, it's for show. I mean, they're starting to put it in like the touch a truck uh, thing. It'll be where, in the Fourth of July parade. Yeah, it's going to be in the Fourth of July parade, one hundred percent. And um, you know, I hope everybody brings their tomatoes. Is all I and there say. was a time when Out, which was an LGBT organization mm-hmm. at IU, which you know well, mm-hmm. uh, used to be in the Fourth of July parade too. That's just a little side, yeah, yeah, side there. Yeah. Um, and Miss Gay yeah. IU used to have a float. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and 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 those are not. Those so are now not, we're going to have the Bearcat. And now we're going to have the Bearcat, which is just so it's so crazy. And they're trying to portray it as the same sort of essential. Um, equipment much like a fire truck but this equipment and I always relate it to like Legos right where mm-hmm. like yes. just because you get the base model of a Lego doesn't mean you can't put attachments onto it or sure, buy and, another kit and right keep buy, building, buy yes. another kit and keep building it right I've so, been told that the model that they bought now I, I know a lot of people in the military I have a lot of family in the military mm-hmm. Um, that this model is nothing like what they use like in war zones, like in Afghanistan or something. It's not as bulletproof. It's not as powerful. But it's still intimidating. It's so I, I don't know about those specifications. It, it's, it's, it's the, I mean, it is not the top tier, and it's not an MRAP. That is, mm-hmm. that is for sure. However, the look, build, and design of it is meant for the same thing. So... Mm-hmm. Um, the reason why they, why Lenco, the company that makes these things, uh, created a scaled down version was to be appealing to police departments and for SWAT teams and for SWAT and for the, so that we we have a cert team we don't have a, we don't have a SWAT we have a cert team so this is supposed to be their vehicle sure um, and so but it's 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 that kind of thing where it's like you just got marketed to. They took something and they, you know, it's like the Hummer, right? You know, yes. here's the Hummer. This is used. So we're going to market it to rich folk over here because they want to have some big vehicle. It's the same thing. Mm-hmm. Police departments are being targeted and marketed and told that this is a necessity, you know, purchase for them. And the reality is, is that the majority of departments that have them um, 
don't need them. And, and in fact, I think you, it's kind of like if you like the movie Field uh-huh. of Dreams. If you build it, they will come, and there'll be a baseball team. If you build it, then you'll have a need for. Well, that's part of the problem, right? That's <laughs> exactly. part of the problem. It sets up with, this tension. It sets up yeah. this opposition and well, this conflict. And if you read our people's report, is that we're talking of if once you militarize, I mean, it's escalation, right? So we talk about this all the time. I mean, this is what superhero movies are about, right? Yes, I hate so, superhero so, movies. <laughs> right, but you I know, really do. But, but you know, so the 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 subject of Batman and things like that is that if, if Batman starts wearing a cape and he goes out and he starts beating up criminals and taking his, the law into his own hands, then that will that that begets the Joker, that begets all of these sure. other people, right? So the mere fact of of arming the military, or excuse me, arming the police, haha, see how easy it is to confuse them, arming the <laughs> police really. in this way mm-hmm. um, negates escalation from everyone else, mm-hmm. right? And and we saw that in Ferguson. Ferguson is a perfect example. Oh, that was horrible. And, was and horrible. the protests were 100% peaceful. There was no looting. There was no rioting until the police showed up. And then they started firing tear gas canisters into the but crowd. But you know, Jada, that's exactly the way rioting. it was back when I was uh, protesting back during the Vietnam War. Exactly. Now, I, was, I was against the war. I was not against the soldiers. I've, that's a separate issue for me. But And I was also in the civil rights movement, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I was in D.C., and I worked with the Black Panthers, and I also know that there would be protests going on. Mm-hmm. I was involved in those major big protests. Nothing would happen mm-hmm. until the police would show up. Yep. And, I mean, you could have police standing around on the corners, just yep. standing there, kind yep. of watching. Right. But then they, they would show up with their big riot gear. Yeah, the yeah. riot gear and yeah. those big shields and all that big stuff. Shields. And that would get everybody fired up. And they'd start trying. They start trying to clear crowds, and they start trying mm-hmm. to dictate how people can can move and, and walk through their own cities. And that's that's when um, people get agitated because we have. I mean, we have a, a sort of an assumption of freedom in this country. And so when you have authority come in trying to tell you that that no, you don't have freedom. You're not allowed to assemble, which you are. Well, that's what's happening now. Happen. That's why yeah. we have to speak up. Right. Exactly. Continuing. But that's but that's how that begins. Uh, that 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 cycle you know happens is that you is that people are are trying to exercise their uh, you know quote unquote american freedoms mm-hmm. and um then you know the quote unquote man comes in and tries to squash it i, I was sitting in a i was sitting in black panther headquarters mm. and uh a police car went by and this small incendiary type of device came in and blew up the front of the office yep. we were all in the back room yep. i was never so terrified in my whole <laughs> life in the newspaper the next day, it said that a rival black group bombed this office. Of it wasn't. I mean, it was the police. Was the I police. saw them. Well, in a hundred, I mean, hear that. especially we. I mean, we can go back all through. You know, the history, history. of the Black Panthers. Oh, we can I'm, go back through all the civil rights movements. We can look. I mean, the Black Panthers were so you know, you know, skillfully infiltrated by COINTELPRO and all that. You know, like we can look at all of that and mm-hmm. see how they were just actively going through and trying to dismantle um, black groups. Um, uh, laws being enacted, gun laws being enacted in California in order to squash um, the Black Panther movement. No, the in whole California. drug movement and the and Drugs. the entire drug movement the being dropped into issue. the to to the black communities in the eighties and course. poor communities and everywhere, poor communities really everywhere. Yeah, but I mean, it, it, but they all trickle out from the from from the drop in the black communities, right? Yes. So destroy mm-hmm. the black communities first, and then we trickle into the but poor white communities. But it hasn't worked. It hasn't worked. It's it hasn't been very worked. destructive. It's been um, very destructive. It has been very destructive. Black people are very resilient. We've had to be um, oh, over, yes. over you know, um, the eon of time that we have had to be. That kind of leads to me to another topic. Sure, sure, sure. Kind of leads me to another topic. 
Um, you're very involved with Black Lives Matter, yeah. and which is a group I strongly support. I haven't come out and supported you physically, well, but I do support you very much. And I was going to say, yeah, I would like to volunteer in some way, but we can talk about that at another time. Mm-hmm. What I'm interested in are the, the, the white groups and the white people that step forward mm. who are going to help. Mm. And to me, I've always felt like the best way you can help someone, in quotes, is just be supportive, mm. uh, to be consistent, to be honest, to be direct, mm. and to look at yourself and see what you've done or mm. haven't done to contribute yeah. to the problem. Yeah. I don't, I've never felt like black people actually need help. They can take care of themselves quite well <laughs> right. and uh, can do it for themselves. Yeah. Um, what do you think about some of these groups that, that, that come forward and stand up and then do, th- I think they cause, sometimes cause more trouble than they... Than they help, yeah. yeah. Well, so just to be clear for everyone who will be listening, I am not here in the capacity. I'm not. I'm not speaking for Black Lives Matter. Right. I am a Black Lives Matter member. Uh, I'm on the core council, but we, the core council as an organization, we speak as a united voice. Um, we have no hierarchy within the core council. We don't have somebody who speaks for us. Sure. We don't um, send people out. We got rid of that kind of concept a while ago. Um, so that we are, are united and we talk to each other and put mm-hmm. forth ideas as a group, right? Um, I'm speaking to you today as a Black Lives Matter activist, but not for Black Lives Matter. Right. Okay, just just clarify, clarifying that real quick. Um, uh, yeah, I do. I, I, I think that there is a problem um, with white saviors. Mm-hmm. I, I think we've always I think we've always had this concept of white saviors. I think I think parts of the of the problem of slavery come from white saviors. You know, like there's a historical record of of the only way to save um, um, these savage Africans is to enslave them and right. and teach them about Christianity, and th- therefore we can save them. So there has always been an ingrained element of that, not only within um, American society but in white society, right? So so yeah there are there are um groups um that have come forward um and they're and they're trying to do what they consider to be allyship and the only issue with that I have with that is who are they taking their cues from mm-hmm. if they are not taking their cues from black people meaning that they if they are not accountable to black organizations to black people uh, uh, in general uh, or and specifically and and who are those black people and like we know who the, they are and mm-hmm. you're talking about either prominent members within the black community who are um, who or and you're having a diverse amount of black people that you are you're being in in communication with so we're not just talking about what I call the the black establishment in Bloomington but rather also um, uh, hearing from from some from diverse voices and perhaps some minority voices within the black um, um, community mm-hmm. um, if you are not responsible to them then how can you possibly call yourself an ally and I really hate that word ally I actually prefer uh, the yeah. term comrade I want somebody who is going to actually fight shoulder to shoulder with me I was going to say yeah. an ally to me and, and not using that word I like comrade much better mm-hmm. um, is that someone who will march side by side mm. will listen first of all listen mm. take your cues from the people that you are are not helping. I don't like the scent of the sound of helping, but assisting or encouraging or supporting, mm-hmm. and want to see advance and want to mm-hmm. see all these problems stop. You listen. We call it mutual aid, right? Mutual aid. So, so, so it's not just it's not just that uh, you know if if 
we are not all free and you know we're you are not free until we're all free right exactly i'm not free until we're you keep all somebody free. in prison you got to guard the prison right exactly so 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 that's what i you know instead of supporting it's like we're providing mutual aid for each other right <laughs> and so uh, in order to do that there's a there's accountability there's a conversation there is a a way of doing things that involves um everyone into the conversation um and 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 black lives matter we specifically talk about our organization as being a black um space meaning that if you come into our 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 purview if you're mm -hmm. in our space then then the people who are leading the way are black and and we we then also look to our 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 uh other people of color, our brothers and sisters and siblings, mm -hmm. and and we try to incorporate their um, um, needs into the dialogue, and and then we look at who who else is being um, uh, marginalized and oppressed, and we and we we pull that into the dialogue as well, and we look at the intersectionality in all of this, but the place for white people within our organization, because we actually have plenty of white people within our organization. Um, this is Bloomington and we, there's no way that we could accomplish anything in this town without inviting white people into our sure. space. Um, there's just too few black folk in, the, and in town um, to be able to do that. But um, we, we invite them into our space with that understanding that they are walking into a black-led mm -hmm. space. And, and while we are asking for their opinions in terms of, of of the things that we're doing and how we're going about them, they know at the end of the day, the core council, which is exclusively uh, black, is making the decisions about these things. Mm -hmm. And that they need to, um, um, even if they maybe personally disagree, they're there to provide mutual aid to us, that they're there to, sure. to um, listen to our needs first and foremost. Much like if we were going to um, a Latino organization, that we would be there um, supporting them and listening to their needs and saying what is it that your community needs and how can we help you achieve those goals um, and 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 ask them about the intersectionality between the two of us mm -hmm. right um, and and so so yeah there are definitely people I uh, in, in, in my life and I'm just gonna get into it um, that recently I have had um, uh, Beth Applegate, who is a prominent, um, uh, well, uh, so-called prominent uh, anti-racist activist in town, um, kind of go after myself, go after Black Lives Matter, go after Abby Ong, who is a an Asian uh, um, activist here in town um, that that Black Lives Matter works with, but like. I don't know, 20 other organizations in town work with Abby because uh, she is prolific in her um, activism mm -hmm. in town. <laughs> um, she's kind of a little powerhouse um, in, in terms of um, her ability to commit and get things done in organizations. Um, and and it's, been this, it's been this really aggressive attack at questioning our motives, questioning how um, we comport ourselves, and it, and it comes off in this um, racist attack. And for somebody who calls themselves an anti-racist, it's very troubling, right? And and it's troubling coming from a white woman to to go after women of color, and for women of color to constantly be having to protect themselves from from her. Um, and the questions that she has 
are, are about the inner workings of Black Lives Matter, that we are under no obligation to divulge to the public. Of course we are, not. We're a private organization. We do not have any, we are not publicly funded by people. We don't, you know, no governmental body is looking at our budgets under any mm -hmm. circumstances. Um, we get donations from people on the street. We get donations from private individuals. We are not um, out here, um, you know, in that way and so what we do in our own private meetings and how we conduct our own private business has we we tell folks how we're doing it we um in terms of we're trying to invoke the guiding principles of the national organization of black lives matter which i can go over here in a minute but um but how that works out in the minutiae is of no one's concern other than those black folk who are on the core council and even even our white members when we have an at-large meeting and our white members and our other people of color are involved they don't spend their time questioning how we're making decisions i was going to say it's not really relevant to, the, really to relevant. the major goals no it's not relevant to the major goals and what i think is happening in particular with beth is that we're making decisions that she personally disagrees with and so instead of 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 just going well i disagree with that choice but Y'all are grown people, and you're. This is a black organization, and it's being led by black people. So you have the right to self determination. She's going. Well, I want to see. I want to see your books. I want to see the notes. Oh, I want to wow. know. I demand to know what's going on. And when I not so politely. Well, does she have a lot of investment? A lot of financial investment, or something? No, I mean, it seems no. kind of crazy. No. Um, I believe um, for uh, she was a member of Surge. She is no longer a member of Surge. Um, but and that surge for listeners is, is standing, uh, standing up, up for, for showing up for racial justice, standing up for showing yeah, up for racial justice. Yeah. I'm sorry, I was standing up for racial justice. I think. Um, and so she's no longer a member of that organization, but she still calls herself an anti-racist activist and spends a lot of time online posting about such things. Um, but oftentimes shares articles that are actually not anti-racist. Um, shares what we call turf articles, which are like um, turfs articles, which are trans exclusionary um, um, feminist articles mm -hmm. where they're anti-trans. Um, she's posted anti-sex oh. worker articles as well, which for for organization like Black Lives Matter, we are completely against people who are anti-trans. We are completely against people who are um, anti-sex worker. And I've so, always wondered about people who stand up for one area mm, of discrimination, mm, but then it doesn't carry over across mm, the board to others. That's one of the big things that I was very mm, discouraged about within the LGBTQ community. Mm, was there these people that have been discriminated against mm -hmm. all their lives, mm -hmm. and yet they're racist? Oh, yeah. Uh, that just totally dumbfounded yeah. me. I thought, you've been through discrimination. How can you justify or not it's see it's compartmentalism yeah, you know, absolutely it's it is psychologically it yeah, is it's, yes. it's, it's a lot of weird but it's like, depressing to, when people cannot step out of the box no yeah and broaden their scope and say hey this kind these kinds of discrimination apply to all well, of it, us it feels perfunctory right it mm -hmm. feels like any activism that you're doing is 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 showy <laughs> or perfunctory and and to me that's the case in 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 the situation i'm talking about which is that um you know there are a lot of people who 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 were inspired by Barack Obama, who have been inspired by queer movements, who have been inspired by um, um, anti-racist action, mm -hmm. um, but have a hard time turning that mirror on themselves and looking at themselves. 
and 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 and, and I this is this is something that I uh, have have discussed with my trans friends, right? Mm-hmm. That um, you know, when I was younger, I perhaps was not as sensitive to trans issues when I was younger because it wasn't my thing, right? Sure, like I exactly. wasn't I wasn't struggling with mm-hmm. my identity in that way or or having realizations about who I am. I, I didn't have that in my life at that time. But the so, point is that you're someone who has expanded, has right, thought about that, right, and processed it, and right. expanded. Uh, your views right through 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 my own hard work too mm-hmm. i didn't yes. put this on my trans friends i didn't go up to my trans friends and said um you know uh, prove me i'm wrong or whatever right. it is you know sure. i didn't i didn't ask them to open up their books and tell me exactly what's what's going on and and how to make them change me i changed myself i did the research i put in the time i got to know people i spent i spent that time really dissecting my own cisgenderedness mm-hmm. and how that relates to the world and and I am so happy that and I And for did. those people who don't know what cisgender, cisgender. means <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because there are people yeah. out there who don't <laughs> yeah um I, for, for for me it's just as simple to say like the the role that you were assigned at birth right but so, if you're a female and, you, agree, and you live as a female and, right? and you agree with that right. that role right so if you were assigned female at birth or assigned you know whatever that you agree with that uh, um well uh, since assignment. you're really 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 intimately involved with Bloomington mm. yeah what do you see I know we have an election coming up <laughs> the candidates really depress me for the most part there's <laughs> yes. a few exceptions there's one person on there I would never vote for mm. shouldn't even be running oh please tell uh <laughs> okay you tell me no, later <laughs> because I would actually have to go back and get students to actually back me up uh-huh. I, no well yeah you and, don't need this yeah. goes back mm-hmm. years. a few years but uh, I'm absolutely appalled at mm-hmm. the support mm-hmm. um, I don't know some of the candidates but I've read about them mm-hmm. and, and you know I, I think there aren't enough people of color there there never are there are more women there, there are, are more women, but that doesn't mean that doesn't right. mean yes, that they as we've be seen. Because uh, uh, I know that you know, I was at IU for thirty-three years, mm-hmm. and you wrote something on uh, Facebook about um, white women mm. and the white women who shut everybody out mm. at IU and in Bloomington, and that is for sure. It's for sure because I experienced that the entire time I was there. Mm. I was always surrounded by. I guess I, I hate to stereotype people, but white, kind of conservative, probably maybe evangelical women. I, it seemed like so many of the staff, and they wouldn't even speak to me, much less, uh-huh. you know, and if they had to wait on, or cooperate with right. me in working. It was very, it made things very difficult mm-hmm. sometimes. Well, and, and, and I think Bloomington has a white liberal problem. And I have yes. said this over and yes. over and over yes. again. And I think in, in, the, in, in the wake of the Amanda Barge scandal, um, I think we are seeing what the depths of that that mm-hmm. white liberalism um, does, which is that um, on on a on a Monday you say you're for transparency and for accountability and that you are approachable and that you're going to champion people who are experiencing the opioid epidemic and that you're going to champion people in recovery, and then by the following Wednesday you're a, uh, accused of sexual harassment and you spend two weeks attacking and abusing the person who is you abused. It's really inconsistent, isn't it's it? It's very. But you know, I find that in what in the social work field. Field, mm-hmm. which might lead back to the other person mm-hmm. I was talking about. Because um, I'm a clinical psychologist, mm-hmm. and I used to have uh, used to be involved in drug rehab and things mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Never here. Mm-hmm. And I didn't do that through IU. I was an advisor at IU. But mm-hmm. um, I found that some of the, the biggest 
problems I had with people is the the duplicitousness mm. among counselors and social workers yeah. and people like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, the the, the phrase is "physician heal thyself," yeah, right? So. Um, I think that there's always, uh, you know, and this is just my own personal philosophy, I think sometimes people go into um, uh, counseling in some shape or form because they're seeking something in themselves. I went into psychology to understand myself as well as other people, I did. Exactly. And sometimes uh, because we're so, you know, we get so busy into helping other people, we stop looking at ourselves. And I think that's the that's the death sentence, right? Mm-hmm. Like of of anyone's ability to have an objective view of oneself. Um, I spend a lot of my time uh, personally um, seeking who I am and seeking how I relate to other people. And I, 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 there are people out here who will tell you I have I have not been the nicest to them, and I have not been the kindest to them. Some of them are ex girlfriends, whatever. Um, <laughs> that, ha- that happens. That happens. <laughs> but um, I'm a happily married woman now. Um, but there. But that's. But but you know those are those are some of the that that sometimes happens, and so really it's all about like accountability right at that point in time so you know in in our current political climate where uh, you know we are in this what people are referring to as the post me too era right where we it's need post to, already we're that post was quick. already that was yeah quick. we're post already <laughs> um that we're not in the Me Too era anymore. I keep hearing we're in this post Me Too era um, where it's the fallout. So all of these people are accused of these things and they go away. Mm-hmm. How do we integrate them back or do we integrate them back and what do we do? Well, we use restorative justice, but restorative justice involves um, the person who has harmed admitting wrongdoing coming to terms with what that actually means. And you don't just admit wrongdoing to the person that you've harmed. You admit wrongdoing, you know, in, in, in the case of, of say, uh, uh, Amanda, our local, Amanda Barge, our, our, um, our local situation, you admit wrongdoing to the community and you take accountability for it. You work with not only uh, Mr. Drake, um, uh, who is, is the person who uh, accused her, you work with him on how to get back into, um, you know, make amends and, and get back into society. But you also work with the community. You have to admit your own trust. weaknesses. You do. You do. See, I, I'm a strong believer. I'm a strong believer in self-analysis. Yeah. And, um, you know, in, in introspection. Mm-hmm. And But then you have to have a willingness to accept your weaknesses or yep. your prejudices yep. or your biases. Yep. And the people, I think the people that go away mm. are the people that aren't willing to do the work. A hundred percent. And, you know, I don't know what you do about those people. They're always just out there. Yeah. But there's well, always a handful of people that stay and do the work and keep yeah. moving things yeah. forward. But, yeah. you know, for my generation, I mean, I'm 74. Mm. And I went through the 50s and 60s. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I remember all that. And I thought we had made progress. And you cannot imagine how distressing it is. I know how distressing it is to everybody else, but how distressing it is to somebody my age who worked their whole life mm. in civil rights and mm. feminist rights mm-hmm. and, and queer rights. And then to watch what's happening in our country right mm. now, the division and the mm. meanness and the nastiness, it's just utter, utter chaos mm. to me. And I take that and, and look at Bloomington and uh, right. see what people are trying to, when you talk about the white liberal here, it's, mm-hmm. it's true. White liberals are very smug. Yeah. They say, well, we, we have our, our, our hearts and minds are in the right place. Yeah. It takes a lot more than that, folks. Well, so, so Dr. King, and, and I always like to talk about Dr. King when we talk about white liberalism because I think he really started this conversation uh, a long time ago in his letter. Uh, I like Malcolm. 
Malcolm X. I, I mean, I like Malcolm X as well, <laughs> but um, um, I mean, I mean, I like I like strong black uh, um, leaders, um, but and they all have their flaws as well. So we can get that. Uh, that's well, a whole everybody's other, a human being. Yeah, yes. that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> but um, you know, Martin Luther King really talked about the white liberal and 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 their love for um, civility and keeping a, a, a you know tone policing instead of justice the love of right. civility rule of law how it looks over justice. how it appears and how it looks yes and and that's what I th when I say I think we have a white liberal problem that's what I mean mm -hmm. um, when when black lives matter disrupted the city council meetings people freaked out people freaked out um, um, Alison Chopra thought we were going to turn violent and attack her of course and I was like, what are you talking about? We are doing nothing but peaceful protests here. And we have, anyone who joined us in, in our protests, other organizations, we specifically sent them memos saying, you will not engage in this kind of behavior if you're going to be working with us. Mm -hmm. And we made sure that everything we did was nonviolent. Well, sure. It may be confrontational. Well, yeah, and see, people don't like that. But they, they don't, don't like want to hear the truth. And they also like to whitewash. <laughs> they also like to whitewash Malcolm X, saying that he wasn't confrontational, saying that he wouldn't use a bullhorn, saying that he wouldn't dare interrupt a city council meeting. That man did that all the time. He was very powerful when he spoke. Yeah, he and he did it all the time. I saw him speak. He was very powerful. Yeah, and, and he he interrupted. He didn't people. need a bullhorn. No, he didn't, first of all, well, but he he did use that. <laughs> yeah, did he use did. Them. But he didn't. But need he didn't one. need one. But because he was a, you know a, a minister. But you know he 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 interrupted speeches. He went where he wasn't supposed to go, and he was at one point in time the most hated man in America by um, by a certain contingency of mm -hmm. white people. Right, that's why he was assassinated. Well, white people, it seems to me, are, are almost always afraid of black people. It's like when you, you go through a neighborhood and a black guy walks down the street and you lock your door. I never experienced any of that growing up. I lived in a totally mm. different world mm. growing up. Mm. And I didn't ever think about any mm. of that stuff until I came here. Well, yeah, it's, so, <laughs> it's really weird because we have such a, um, an odd town in that in that we don't have a clear delineation of a black neighborhood. We don't have a clear delineation anymore, I should say. And some people say that's a good thing. Everybody's intermixed. But but they're not. not. They're um, not. Black folk are pushed to to the edges and to the county where they get harassed and and um, you know abused, um, and or that integration looks like a few black people have prospered. But the, on the whole, the rest of us have not. Sure. Um, and, you know, we make up 3.6% of the population, which is not a large percent of the population um, at all by any means. And, and but, no, we, but people don't understand how important black culture and black contributions have been oh, to our well, society. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. And that, so it doesn't matter to me how many or how few people right. are there. But what I, what, and the only reason why I bring up the, the, the number is power numbers is, sure. that, is that there that if we were if we had a larger <laughs> black community in this town, that Bearcat would not be here. OK, because we would have more power and we'd have more power and control. And um, the the. The black community members who were for the Bearcat and/or remain neutral with the Bearcat, a lot of them, um, God bless them, and I, I, I you know, we're, we talk. These are people who are some of them are my dad's age, you know, who I've known them for a very long time. But 
we we as a as a younger person and and I gotta tell you I'm not actually a younger person I'm gonna be 40 in a little while um uh so it's really funny that I'm a member of a, what I would consider to be a young person's organization no 40 is uh, young believe me <laughs> no believe me 40 is young but 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 you know there there is there is a generation gap in how we handle things um and I think we can see that in, in, in our, our new congresswoman like uh, Ocasio-Cortez, Miss Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez. I think she's wonderful. She is a Marvelous. Firestorm. Yeah. But she doesn't give quarter to these um, um, people who are in office. And she doesn't – she speaks kindly to them. But she 100% holds their feet to the fire. Mm-hmm. Um, and she has rules of decorum that she has to abide by mm-hmm. as a congresswoman. But um, – I have no such um, obligation as a as a citizen. I pay taxes here. I own a house in Bloomington, in Bloomington City proper. I am um, a member of this community. Uh, you know, and well, you have been here. your whole life. Yeah, yes. I was born here, and and that's one thing people don't get is people think that a lot of uh, uh, folks in Black Lives Matter are transplants here, and that's you know true and whatever. But um, I, in particular, am a am a product of the MCCSE school system. I am a product of. Uh, these lovely streets of Bloomington. I am a product of um, all of the, um, uh, you know, the gentrification that has happened over the years. I, 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 I'm from here. Um, so I know the changes that have happened mm-hmm. in, our, in our town, and they have been dramatic. We have gone so far into becoming a student bedroom as opposed to a real community that I, I, I am afraid for what Bloomington is going to look like. I'm all for grow, growth and change and, and, and welcoming new people into our community. I am so, so all about that. And I, um, you know, well, you know, one of the but, things I saw that happened here that really, really depressed me mm-hmm. was when the students asked me to become uh, an advisor for Out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. For those who don't know, Out was uh, a long-standing mm-hmm. LGBT group mm-hmm. here, and it's one of the first in the country at a big university, mm-hmm. and it long lasted longer than mm-hmm. than almost any of them did. Um, and they actually were a group that also reached out into the community. Mm-hmm. There were mm-hmm. there were people. Uh, queer kids from the community that were involved with that that mm-hmm. weren't students. Mm-hmm. There was all this interaction, and there was actually more kind of a community feel. Oh, I agree. Yeah. And then a certain person came who became director of a center, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that was totally destroyed. And it took about well, I was advisor for 17 years, mm-hmm. but it took that long. But it destroyed all of it. Yeah. And I don't even know because I'm not I'm not young anymore. I'm not out there active in the community anymore. I don't know if there's a, a, an interactive queer community anymore. I think I think um, I know there's pride. There's pride, but. and I think um, um, the folks at Pride, in particular, Janae Cummings, is she's wonderful. To, yes. she, yeah, she's, she's powerful. I think she's very powerful and wonderful. She um, has spent. I think she has tried to to do that. Um, you know counting gown um, and that's hard to pull together and it's hard to do I think that um, having a a queer bar like the back door has helped that Um, you know it's not to say that I don't miss Uncle E's and I don't miss the bullwinkles and all that old stuff because I'm an old school towny kind of person yeah and I remember all that stuff too (laughs) you know but the back door really tries to be a community space and they're trying they're trying to um, provide um, extra room for folks but but um, and I, I, you know, um, there's a new um, PFLAG organization. There are people who are trying to get non, um, so like all ages queer spaces happening. And so there, there is a community, I think, with our film, between our film fest, Pride, and, and um, 
other things that people are doing, there there is attempt to change what it used to be. I think we've lost some of the um, some of the queer culture that we used to have in town, but we're creating new queer culture. There used to be a P flag group years ago, and yes. it fell apart. Yes, and now there's and a so new there's, one. There's a new P flag group, and um, I'm very excited to see what what happens with that group. I'm thinking about checking into whether I want to be a part of it or not, or how I can help them in any shape or we form. We started a P flag group, uh, my partner and I, mm-hmm. with a couple other people over mm-hmm. in Owen County. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if that still exists anymore. But yeah, I'm not sure. I have yeah. no idea. Yeah, but we don't live in Owen County anymore. We moved into town, mm-hmm. so. Well, but I think. I think that there. I think it's changing. I think that there's an element of change that happens, you know, um, with with every, um, you know, new generation. I was a little resistant to some of it. I will say, uh, being an old school, you know, townie queer. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was, I was a little resistant to it. But I'm. But I have seen um, that it can that there can be safe spaces provided. There always can be more, right? Not mm-hmm. everyone is going to feel. I I don't drink, so I don't attend the back door often. Not because I don't feel comfortable there, but because I well, you I mean, don't. part of it is that I don't drink. So everybody no, starts having a really really good party time, and you're yeah, I know. Well, I understand. And it's, it's, I mean, my, I don't drink anymore. My, <laughs> my my version of a party time is is just is just different, right? Uh, sure. I'm just a different. I, that's my different kind of thing. You know, I play in in bands and stuff, so I have to go to. A, to bars, um, you know, um, when I'm performing, but I don't really. Enjoy do you still perform? Because I remember you did a benefit for us one time. I for... do, yeah. Um, I'm sort of in a hiatus. My couple of my bands are in a hiatus right now, but I'm that's that's my real passion. <laughs> so we've been talking I don't about see how you could politics have... <laughs> and activism, and I gotta tell you, um, I hate politics. Oh. I hate it. Oh, it's a I rough really, business. It's, it really it's a is. rough business, and I I hate it. It's so inequitable. It's so inequitable, and but and then. And when you're talking to people about like, you know, um, um, you know, things that have to do with race, and they don't want to talk about things that have to do with race, that that in 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 music, that's not the case. If it's a, if we want to have a song that's you know about race, we write a song that's about race, sure. and people either like the bop or they don't. That's you know, exactly. They sure. either, they either like you know, it's either you know, it's 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 just so different. I you know, I can I can be as creative as I want to be with music and poetry and you know, writing and things like that. That I and and talk about things in such a broader manner that um, you know, having a political discussion with a, a, a candidate, I'm never going to get there. You well, know? you know, when I was growing up, and I, like I said, I grew up in a different climate, different family. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a multi-ethnic family, Jewish, Catholic. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's, you know, we had conversations, we had fun, we teased each other, joked with each other. It was all in good nature, and all the neighbors. It was all I grew up in multi-ethnic mm-hmm. neighborhoods, mm-hmm. so I didn't grow up with these kinds of divisions. Mm. And it seems like we're just so divided right now among so many lines. And people, it's either, and this is just, yeah. it's either black or white. Yeah, yeah. You know, or it's green or red or something. It's just, right. no, it's got to yeah, be one you. or the other. Yeah. And people don't want to come together and listen to what how yeah. we can compromise. I mean, do you see any anything happening in Bloomington that's going to make it better? So, yes, I do. But I want to I wanna talk about that, the, the, that you know the black and white division the red and green whatever you know the 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 just the, the opposites blue and the, 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 blue opposites, and the red yeah right. um <clears throat> i see actually a lot of people coming together but i also see that there should be some elements of division right so when we're talking about nazis mm-hmm. yeah. I, I get really yeah. sick and tired of 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 and this happens with white liberals who are like well they're entitled to their opinion they're entitled to free speech no, they're not. and i'm well. like <laughs> 
but the definition of free speech is limited in this country. And, and, a, and a Nazi's free speech is about the genocide of, of people. So we And I lost family members in the Holocaust, so. Exactly, so, but, but we, don't, we don't allow that to happen. You, can, you don't just get to go out in public and say, I'm gonna murder you mm-hmm. and, and have no consequences for that, right? And so, so with, with Nazis, I'm, I'm of the mind that we should um, not give them platforms. They don't deserve to have platforms to speak in our country. We went to war with them. You know, mm-hmm. exactly. that, that, yes. we have a, we, that if we are to have a moral center of a country, and, and, and I don't, I'm not talking about in a religious way, mm-hmm. um, then we have to have certain lines in the sand that say that this is not free speech. Hate speech. This is hate this speech. this kind negative of speech, speech is, and it's not it's negative, but it's definitely hate speech and it's genocidal speech and it's advocating Harmful, for the stru- destruction hurtful. of individuals. Mm-hmm. Um, it's destructive to the overall yeah, culture and group, and it's it is destructive in the overall culture. And you know, um, one of the things that is, like um, the Antifa crowd talks about a lot is that you know, in 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 Germany, in the Weimar Republic. The, you know, when 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 the Nazis were starting to get formed, they were like you know under thirty people, and had community groups got together and said, "Hey, these thirty people are talking about mass murder and slaughter, and they're blaming other people for the problems of our government, and they're mm-hmm. blaming other people for socioeconomic issues that are beyond those individual people's control. We should shut them up." And we should stop them, and we should talk about how we we don't want to hear that, and we should we should really look at the fact that these people here are are not um, uh, productive to a larger conversation of, of changing and growing our country. If that would have happened, that's the ideal. Yeah, but of course, right. it, then, then you have greed. But if if that would have <laughs> happened in Germany at that time period, where would we be now? They're doing a better job now. I mean, there, there's a, a massive Nazi movement in Europe now. Oh yeah, there's and a massive. And it's very frightening. And there's a massive, massive. one here. Yeah, but uh, and and our Nazi movement here fuels that Nazi movement there. And to continue on with your thought, Jade, I, yeah. I don't know where we left off. <laughs> I know, there. I'm not sure. We're sorry, we had a little break in the in the combo. <laughs> well, we were we were talking. I was, so I was I was speaking of that. You know that that there was there. You know, these voices that are happening in mm-hmm. our country. Uh, that have uh, the neo Nazis, the the KKK, all of these so called alt right folk. Um, if it, we are providing them a platform, I mean, Donald Trump has given them the biggest platform they can uh, possibly have, and so um, you know, really, no platforming is to remove the microphone away from them. Is to is to you know have companies cut funding with Breitbart, to have people just you know turn off their microphones as easy as possible. Right, they can speak if they want to, we just don't have to listen. You don't have to listen, and other people don't have to support them. Well, did you notice that Trump has just passed something, or tried to pass something about colleges and universities can't deny yeah. Uh, everyone yeah. to come and speak. He's, and well, you have to invite them. Doesn't he understand? They have to be invited. Right. If a university doesn't invite somebody, right. they're not going to come. Right. Well, he and and he's he's taking free speech and he's bastardizing its uh, purpose mm-hmm. and and manipulating it into into being something that it's not. And this has happened over and over and over again. But don't you think? And I I fairly really strongly feel this mm. that he is. A distraction. They wanted him in office to be oh, a distraction. Yeah. He's always been. Because the people behind him 
want to do all these things that he's talking uh -huh. about. Uh -huh. And so they just use him as a distraction so they can try to implement these things. hundred uh, percent. I mean, I think, I think there's clearly uh, a, a racist collusion with, with, with Mitch McConnell. I think Mitch McConnell is, oh, he's is, terrifying. And then is Steve, in fact the most... Steve Miller, is that his name? Steve uh, yeah, yeah, the Miller. one guy who, yeah. That um, looks like a Nazi. He yes. 100% <laughs> looks like a Nazi. Yes. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I think... I think he is pomp and circumstance. Like mm -hmm. he is, he is this like. He oh, is, he's pomp. I didn't know <laughs> <Yeah>. about circumstance. <laughs> yeah. He is, he is the, he is the fanfare that we're all supposed to be mad and angry at. But there's the minutia, right? And so that's where, that's where I, I've honestly stopped focusing on national issues at this point in terms of the, the election, and have really started looking more about what we can do locally because I think there comes a time where those things break down and and that if there is a wave of change within city to city either on a political uh landscape or on an activist landscape mm -hmm. that will that will you know infiltrate into uh everything all the way up right well you're there talking were, really about grassroots organizing uh, yes, i spent it's, a it's lot grassroots or, yeah. i spent a lot of time with grassroots organizing yeah. and union organizing yeah and that's where the power is going to yeah. come from. It right. has to come from it. Well, but it just seems very discouraging right now. And if some of these laws are passed mm -hmm. and some, some of the judges are removed mm -hmm. and replaced by mm -hmm. the judges that they want, mm -hmm. I mean, this has been coming for a long time. It's becoming yeah, since Reagan. Creep, yeah, it started, started. The silent majority. Least, the silent least, majority yeah. were actually a lot of these right. people. Well, there's um, uh, this the fascist creep in in this country has been going on for a long time, and people have been you know black communities and other communities have been have been talking about the signposts and the you know like you know we need to stop this and and um, I mean that's because you know, people confuse fascism with socialism with communism. Which people are don't so actually know different. <laughs> they don't know the definitions of any of yeah. them. Yeah, it's so completely like all those three concepts. You if they don't, <laughs> you can't put them into the no. same sentence and have them yeah work together. They don't. They don't work together. No, they're uh, not the same thing. They're not at all. the same thing, and they don't work together. And you know, I I have been accused of being a radical. I've been accused of being a socialist. You know, I've been accused of being a fascist. I've been accused of being a communist. And I find it all very funny. You're the farthest thing from a fascist. I'm I first, yeah, but I've been accused of being a fascist because I I say I want to limit speech for for Nazis, right? And they're like, well, then you want to limit. That just destroys all of our free speech. And I'm like, no, I just think that Nazis are talking about genocide, and so therefore they well, don't they're talking about, about they want to kill you outright. Right. They're the talking, Klan did that's that. A, yeah, that's, that's we a threat. stifled the Klan. That's a threat for years, right. decades. Yeah, the Klan was pretty much stifled and put back. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they always existed. We knew they were there. Yeah. I, they they <laughs> pop up. That's the thing is, mm -hmm. is that they the these things have crept into our culture. They are, and I mean, and I and I should say, they crept back into our culture. We thought we were removing them, but I don't think that we did the full. They you know, never like, totally go away. It's like trying to 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 kill kudzu. You know, you can't <laughs> kill kudzu because you have to get at the root. You can't just chop at the the, t the head of it and think that you've gotten everything. You have to get down into the roots and exactly. dig, you know, uh, you know, meters wide around it in order to get it. And that sounds very violent. It, it does sound very violent. It does sound very violent. And people people think about that as being like, you know, what. What I'm talking about is talking about violence and I'm like 
No, this is this is talking about like you know we're fighting for you know what we consider to be the soul of our country. Like what? Who are we? What is the nature are we of we uh, of ourselves? And so to put this back into context into our local situation, um, that's a question that I asked um, the Democracy for Monroe County when we were uh, voting on whether or not we were going to ask uh, Amanda Barts to resign or not. I said, what what kind of organization do we want to be? Do we want to be an organization that supports survivors, that believes victims when they come forward? Whether they're male or female, whether they're male or female, whether they're black Dance. or white, whether yes. they're and so so this is a this is a key part of the conversation is that Amanda Barge is a white woman in power, and Brandon Drake is a is a brown man. He was he was raised predominantly in a black community, though he's um, Arab American, and so he so Saudi American, and so he. Um, you know, he, he, he lived a black experience predominantly mm-hmm. in this country. And so there are elements of racism that in, are intertwined in the power differential. And, and nobody wants to talk about that part of it. Um, and so Black Lives Matter has been talking about it. I've been talking about it quite a bit. Um, but, but, but when we, you know, who, who do we want to be? Do we want to be people that believe um, survivors and listen to them and, 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 and want to help get to restorative justice? Or do we need to, to, to be this like, well, I need to know all the facts and it's he said, she said, and, and, and there's no way to prove any of this, so why does it even matter? The thing that I keep hearing over and over again is that we're talking about a kangaroo court and a court of public opinion. And I'm like, well, what else is um, a court of a public opinion? Voting? Is voting a court it's of a public, public opinion? opinion. So, you know, uh, as county commissioner, she was voted into her office. We have no mechanism for, for us to recall her votes. That doesn't really, that doesn't, that part isn't really something that we can do easily or even do in, in actuality, mm-hmm. right? And so instead, community members got together and asked for her resignation. Nobody forced her to resign. Nobody, you know, held a gun to her head. Nobody said, you know, this, you know, whatever. They said, this is enough of a break of trust that we don't trust you to fulfill this position. There are too many. Um, I thought it took him too long to make that decision myself. Uh, I agree. Well, I thought I took. I thought it, I thought it took way too long for Amanda to come to that decision as well. I thought it took too way too long for other organizations to. Uh, come to the table and ask for her resignation. Mm-hmm. I mean, Black Lives Matter essentially did it the the day. That I know. It I saw that, and I said, "Yes." That's um, <laughs> yeah, we we we. You know, the information was overwhelming. We also had had prior knowledge of this information. We mm-hmm. knew that it was coming because of our relationship with with Brandon, and um, he has he's a member of Black Lives Matter, um, and so we we knew that that was that this information was out there. But you know, this kind of stuff it's it's not about pushing her off to the island and setting her off to sea. It's, it's about accountability. It's about accountability. Accepting responsibility. And, and, and what we hope, and what I hope in particular, and I'm not going to, you know, I, that, that she will come to the table, admit her wrongs, and that her and Brandon can come to some sort of restorative justice, and her and the community can come to some sort Don't of restorative Don't you think justice. it takes people a long time to make these decisions because they're so afraid of change, and like we were talking about the white liberal attitude, <laughs> is that... You just don't want to rock any boats. You don't want to upset anybody. You don't want to, you know, step out, out yeah, across. Yeah, you don't want yeah, to cross yeah, boundaries, right. you know. Well, and, and so uh, I, I love the term that you just said about, uh, about rocking the boat. This is something that we've, we've dealt with with, the, with, you know, folks in the black establishment. Um, and we've said, we've said if the boat is, you know, any good boat builder will tell you that if the boat is seaworthy, 
it can stand a little rocking. That's right. So <laughs> if you rock the boat and it turns over and it like goes belly up and things go nuts and everybody, there's chaos and nobody knows what to do, then that is a boat that does not need to go out to the ocean. Mm -hmm. We need to take it back all the way to the beginning and start looking at every flaw and possibly completely rebuild it. And so in these situations, that's, that's part of the thing is that, is, is that if we aren't occasionally testing our democracy, if we're not occasionally pushing back against elected officials and saying, this is not right, this is not right, this is not right, and here's how you can change it or, or, or amend it or let us you know, help you figure that out or let's open up the whole process so that we can talk as a community um, if we don't do those things, then then the entire system will fail, and it will and it will continue to fail, and more and more people will get caught in the gaps and caught in the you know holes that are created by its failing process. Well, you know, to kind of to kind of wrap things up, I've been listening to people for the last ever since uh, number forty-five. I really hate to say his name. Yeah, was elected. I've heard people say, "This is not who we are. This is not America." And I say, "Yes, it is." Mm. Yes, it is. It is who we've always been. We just didn't want to face it. We've had so many problems. I mean, we, the, the genocide of the Native Americans, slavery with black people, um, and imprisonment, and imprisonment yeah, and that, that, that internment camp, that was horrible. All these things, yes, that's who we've always been. We need to do better. We need to live up to who we thought we were. Oh, and yeah. that's a big step. Yeah. I mean, I, America was founded on these grand ideals, and the grand ideals are not necessarily bad. By white men who could, are the only ones that could vote. But, yeah, right. <laughs> and, 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 I mean, I think there's certain aspirational things, right, you know, that happen out in the world by, that are put forward by flawed people. Mm -hmm. But I, it, and it doesn't mean that the aspirational ideas or the The, the ideas themselves and principles weren't are, are, Aren't so sound. Right. But the, the ability to enact them has to come from a broader base of people, has to come through the experience and the tested knowledge that we've acquired through our history. And we need to be able to, um, to you know, if, we're, if we have a system that's working, we need to be able to look at it and, and go, okay, why is this working? And could it work better? And if we have systems in place that aren't working, like our prison systems, oh, then they're, we need, they're a disgrace. They, they are a disgrace. And, and then we need to work on either dismantling them entirely or be willing to gut the entire process of, of how we put people in jail and what we do. For what, what, we reasons, for what, and what reasons and what sentencing. And, and <laughs> what the purpose of for, uh, you know, for them. So we, so we have to, we have to if they're, they're clearly failing, but continuing them on as they are at, you know, ad infinitum uh, you know, will never um, yield the, the, the desired results of, of reformation of everybody or the complete um, stopping of crimes or whatever. Like sure. that's never gonna happen. So if we continue on this failed path. So we have to figure out a way to redo it. And I think restorative justice is an imperfect model, but it is a it's better a, model yes, it's a start. It's a start. Than, than, it's a better model than what we have now. And it, and it is open and it involves people um, trying to change. Um, the last thing that I want to say mm -hmm. is recently on my, on my Facebook page, I am um, speaking of restorative justice and, and um, <laughs> things like that. I, um, I was told by um, folks that um, Regina and Don Moore um, have been decided to remove their funds from um, the Shalom Center, uh, that is a supporting uh, facility for um, uh, our 
homeless population in Bloomington, those experiencing homelessness in Bloomington. And they do a wonderful job. And they do a wonderful job at that because the director on his own personal page, Forrest, on his own personal page, um, making it very clear he was not speaking for Shalom and he couldn't speak for Shalom because of their um, sure. governmental ties and connections that he couldn't do that. He was speaking from his own moralistic center, uh, believed um, uh, Mr. Drake, uh, Brandon Drake, and that it was important for him to speak out for that. And, and because of that, these people decided to punish Shalom Center. They pulled a thousand dollar donation. Well, isn't that what we're just talking about? Right, <laughs> right. They, Everything we've covered pretty right. much applies to right. that example. Right. They pulled a thousand dollar donation. And these are, these are people, Ron and, and excuse me, uh, Don and Regina Moore are supposed to be pillars of the, of the Democratic Party in Bloomington and are, and are supposed to be sort of like haymakers or tastemakers or whatever it's called. Um, and and so that that is very troubling to me that that's a trend that's starting to happen. Other people have said that they're not going to donate to Shalom Center because Forrest in his own personal life made these statements. And, and I find that so deplorable and so despicable and really contrary to what I thought the soul of this town was. That it's always discouraging, isn't it? <laughs> to see the truth. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, and, 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 you know, I know the truth, right? I'm, I'm a black person in this town, so I wasn't, I, you know, I, I just, I it, just find Sometimes it, it just hits you in the face, it though. It does hit you It in just the hits face. you, and, and you go, oh, my God. And there know. are plenty of people that don't believe this, but, mm -hmm. you know, there are records about this. And, sure. Um, um, so I decided to do something. And, and you've raised a lot of money I, all yeah, of a sudden. And I just randomly decided to put up a link on my Facebook page on Sunday night, and within an hour, we had met that. Um, actually, under an hour, we had met that one thousand um, dollar goal. Well, aren't you up to like three thousand or something we're in, now? And I decided, well, let's triple it, right? Mm -hmm. So now we're into three thousand dollars, and it's just kind of keep going. Um, Black Lives Matter itself, in about a month or so, is going to release a necessity drive uh, to help people to get people to buy products and goods for different organizations, Shalom Center included, but the Indiana Recovery Alliance, um, My Sister's Closet, um, and Project Pink Block, which is a sex worker organization in town uh, to, to protect it um, and keep them safe. And so we are, we are collecting necessities for them. And, and the reason why we're doing this is so that those organizations, if they get funding elsewhere, can spend that funding on other things that are, are, are of greater need. Mm -hmm. And so that at the very least, those bare minimum um, supplies are, are taken care of. Well, Jada, it's been fascinating talking to you, yeah. listening to everything you're doing and saying. And uh, I mean, the community certainly needs more people like you. Thank well, you. <laughs> you are doing, you're doing amazing work. You're living up to what I always thought you would oh, be. I really, you are, and more. Um, so maybe we can talk again about some things yeah. later on. I mean, uh, there's done. plenty to talk about. Oh, yes, <laughs> plenty of issues. But I, I just want to demure for a second and say thank you to anyone and everyone that donated for, for Shalom Center. How do you donate? Um, you, can, you can go to the link on my Facebook page, or you can go to Shalom Center and just give them a direct donation. You can set up a reoccurring donation to okay. them so that you can um, donate on a monthly basis. And, you know, $5 on a monthly basis is... is well, sixty dollars a year, and if a lot of people do that, yeah. it, it adds it's a, up. it's sure. a lot. And sure. and believe me, it doesn't. It 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 is needed. It is very much. They needed. do great works. All these organizations they do. do. They do. Well, thank you very much for joining no me on uh, our outside view. It's yeah. been great to see you again. First of all, in touch base, <laughs> and uh, it's yeah. been wonderful talking with you. So no thank problem. you. Yeah. Glad to be here. Thanks. <laughs>